This podcast episode is sponsored by Arbor Vitae Wellness Center here in Santa Monica, California, where they offer services such as chiropractic care, physical therapy, acupuncture, and massage therapy. A lot of you have heard me talk about injuries I've dealt with on the podcast, and I reached out to Arbor Vitae a few months ago to get help with my neck and back pain, and the owner, Dr. Gerges, uh, we call him Dr. G, uh, he's done nothing short of an amazing job. He didn't just help relieve the physical pain, uh, but he showed me how the mental and spiritual aspects of my life are important to maintain for my physical health. A lot of you guys that listen to the podcast are musicians, athletes, or dancers, and we regularly get aches and pains, and it's so important to get help from somewhere like Arbor Vitae that takes the time to understand our demanding lifestyles. And I mean, no matter what you do, we're all spending time sitting down every day. You know, we're on our computers, we're driving and whatnot. So if you just want to feel better in general, Arbor Vitae Wellness Center is the place for you. All right, let's get this episode started. Yeah, so everyone listening, and of course, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, but just to kind of let people know just like how or why this is all happening. So Miles here is a co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, just because it's this perfect blend of comedy, yet learning, like really learning something (laughs) in like in life. And it's just, it's the most outrageous scenarios and analogies that like actually somehow makes sense. And that's with JB Smoove and Miles here is like the perfect, like Miles, I was like just getting ready for this. I realized that like kind of your role is almost like to remind us that just how crazy JB is. You kind of just like, you like remind us like, yeah, like if you're like sitting here thinking like, what's this guy doing? So am I. And like, I'm on the same page as a listener. But uh, anyway, we'll get into all of that. But uh, yeah, if you would I like got to, a lot to say about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I guess last thing I'll say is that when I then, you know, learned more about your story and saw that you you have an extensive background in improv comedy performance and sketch performance, that's when it made so much sense for me because I didn't know that before the whole time listening to the podcast. I was like, man, that's why you play off of him so perfectly. But anyway, again, I'll allow you to introduce yourself. It's tough. I got to thank you. Before you even introduce me, I got to thank you. That's <laughs> very nice of you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Miles Grows. I'm a, a writer, an actor. I'm a lot of things, just like I think most people in the entertainment business end up being a lot of things. Like I think most people in life are a lot of things. But for the purposes of this, I'm the co-host of uh, May I Elaborate? Sound Wisdom with J.B. Smooth. I've been J.B.'s writing partner for about 20 years, writing producing partner. And this was just kind of a, a cool little side opportunity to get to play in front of a microphone with him. But, but we've been creating together for a long time. Yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did the, the podcast started sometime early 2021 or late 2020? Early 2021, like around April. And it was, yeah. it was a daily podcast which was a huge mistake. <laughs> it was ambitious because Conan O'Brien, it's a Team Coco production, Conan O'Brien's podcast company. And JB is a frequent guest on Conan and Conan loves them. They, they kind of really vibe together. They're just too big, lanky, you know, they're just connected, right? So it was after one appearance on Conan's TV show and then Conan's podcast that Conan's people were like, we got to get JB talking into a microphone. And they pitched to him this idea of getting these inspirational calendars and doing a page a day, just tearing off a page and doing the next day. And it sounded like a great idea. And then they were like, well, you need another voice with you, just kind of a foil along with getting celebrity guests. And, you know, I was there, like just happened to be in the room. Could have picked anybody, but he picked me and yeah, and we did it, but it was a, it was a grind doing a daily. You know, yeah, doing a weekly is a grind. Doing a daily, 
and he's busy, you know. I'm not that busy, but he's his schedule was crazy. We've only done, we did maybe five episodes in the same room out of the 180 wow. or so that we did. They're all remote and he's been in Europe. He's been been on set with other comedians around him making noise. He's been a lot of places while we've, you know, done these podcasts. But um it was fun. You know, what worked, I don't want to shut up because I don't get to talk this much. You know on May Library, I don't get to talk. I just get to go, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, really? No, you can't do that, JB. Uh-uh. No. So that's all I get to really do. But um the idea was like JB loved it because, you know, it was these quotes that were grounded somewhere. So no matter how crazy we went with the concept, we could always come back to something that was grounded. And it was really important. You know, we didn't write these podcasts, but we definitely wrote notes on where it needs to go to be kind of responsible with it. And that was always my job to to when he went, got too far off to come back to the point so that we landed somewhere. So much so though, that iHeartRadio gives out awards. So we got nominated last year, but not in the comedy category. It was an inspirational and religious podcast, mm. inspirational and spirituality based podcast. And we're like, what the, <laughs> like, no, we weren't going that deep with it. So, but yeah, we were happy though, that it, it was funny but that it made sense. We didn't just want it to be gibberish, you know? Right. And you know, that actually makes sense to me because I think if you like search for a podcast that says you search for inspirational or spiritual podcast, then you're kind of like telling yourself as you're listening that like, all right, like I, I need to be inspired. I need to feel like spiritual or whatever. But I think going into it, thinking it's just pure comedy and then being inspired and spiritual it's because like you're kind of disarmed in that way that like you're not like and you're really just like receiving it you know so i it that in a way that doesn't surprise me because like when i listen to you guys' episodes and i'm just prepared of course i know i'm going to laugh but i guess through that like laughter and really just like listening to you guys then in every episode i'm like man like that's actually one of the smartest little bits of advice I've heard in a, in a while, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny to hear him make sense. It's funny to, that's one of, another one of my jobs is to listen, 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 and wait until somewhere in there, there's that nugget. So it's just like panning for gold because he's, JB is a machine, you know? It's why he works so well on Kirby Enthusiasm. I mean, that show is entirely improv. And he, you know, if you tell him action, he won't stop until you say cut. And I'm always impressed by him because it doesn't matter the premise. He'll try it. A lot of people would be afraid to do certain bits because they just think they're not going to be funny, that they're flawed to begin with, but he doesn't see a flaw. Like he'll just keep going and running and running and running. And most of the time, somewhere they'll be funny. And then I got to let that happen. And then I got to find the, but what was the point again? And bring it back. So where you say my improv background, yeah, I started in New York doing improv and sketch way back. And I've done that for years. And the basis of improv or, and also what you and I both do, interview people is listening. And the key to listening is truly listening, right? And that's what I have to do. I have to listen to him or to our guests and really hear what people are saying and what they feel is important and then use that as the next stepping stone for the next thought. You know, in prepping for this, I, you know, watched a lot of your episodes and that's, you do a great job of that, you know, sitting there listening and letting people express themselves, but finding the thing in there that acknowledges that you heard me, but also allows you to move the conversation to the next beat. Mm. So first of all, yeah. thank you for that, man. That is I think, especially coming from you in, in the sense that if I'm thinking of a podcast host that I think does that really well, I think you do that as well. So really appreciate that. No, you do that great. And you do it the the cool thing is I've seen you do interviews that just were very funny and you rolled with that. 
And I've seen you do interviews that were serious and you were digging and you did that, but they were always appropriate for what the tone was that your guest was giving you. It was never like this intrusive thing. And, and I always watched the level of comfort of your guest from the beginning to the end. By the end, they're your buddies, which is a really great quality. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, and that's the goal too. And I, I think we're coming from similar roles, though different backgrounds. Because So I'm a, a classically trained tuba player. And the tuba's job in an orchestra and a band is to support. You're playing the bass lines a lot of times, and it requires a lot of just active listening and knowing like maybe when you need a little bit more, taper off. And I think that, I think having to be aware of like just, it's like kind of like the energy in the room that you can't see, like just all yeah. that extra stuff that really moves either music or a conversation forward, just being very aware of like, like that alley-oop that that other person in the room gives you or other people in the room gives you. So I think starting this podcast, I was like, I, it was really cool. And I'm sure you probably had a similar experience seeing the similarities between what you've done as an improv an improv. And so for me, I think I, I kind of see the same thing with, with the yeah. tuba playing. The um, music and comedy are so related. Like they are, if they're not brother and sister, they're first cousins. They're all about rhythm and timing. And whereas you can, you know, a lot of people will take comedy classes. You can teach people what funny is, but you can't teach a person to be funny. As I would assume you can teach people to play an instrument, but you can't teach them to be a musician. Like that's the thing you feel. You either have it in you or you don't. You're inclined. That's your thing, you know? And, but it's all a rhythm, rhythm thing. And I, and I always point out like years ago, the big time singers used to have comedians open for them and big time comedians used to have bands open for them. Mm -hmm. That's why Chappelle used to love to have music on the Chappelle show. It's why Saturday Night Live always has music because it continues the rhythm of the comedy. It keeps the flow going. And then certainly, you know, playing an instrument, you're part of an ensemble and a sketch and improv is an ensemble. And it is about knowing when and knowing when or knowing when to go forward and knowing when to pull back, knowing when to go loud, when to go soft. And it's an, an innate thing. But it's so funny, you play the tuba, like that's, that's the recurring question that JB asks people. We uh, used to do a show in, in New York on the MSG network. I wrote and produced it. Now we do another version that I get to direct, but it was like a dinner for five and JB would sit down with this eclectic mix of musicians, actors, athletes. And it was just like, they'd eat food and have great conversation. But <laughs> we always ask the question, would you rather be an okay guitar player or the greatest tuba player who ever lived. <laughs> and I'm sorry, very few people said the greatest tuba player. And we're like, we're telling you, man, like you'll be the greatest, like Wikipedia, your tombs, like you are tuba, you are, or just an okay guitar player. I think it was carrying that tuba to practice, <laughs> carrying it on the subway. All those years of having to carry that tuba somewhere, I think was, so I commend you. For all those years of lugging that thing up some stairs, down in an elevator with a crowded, you know, big crowd of people. Yep. you. Oh, man. No. Yeah. Because I, I mean, like having to walk around with that thing and like just like not knock people out that are behind me is, is yeah. a challenge in itself. But yeah, no, I think tuba playing is like I would put it in the same folder that probably like I would put being an, an astronaut in, in the sense that like. Why are you like training? Like, I mean, maybe in the society we live in, the, the clear motivation might be like money or being super famous or whatever. And, and astronauts for sure. I mean, I'm not going to, yeah. like astronauts are on a whole other level of like notoriety and coolness than tuba players, but they yeah. do. I was going to say already <laughs> every astronaut that's listening was like, what is yeah. All right, where's he going with this? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but, but it's like, I would still say they're similar in the sense that they have to do so much training yeah. to like still be paid a government salary in the sense that like the focus to be an astronaut, if they use that same amount of time and focus in like the private sector somewhere to make millions of dollars, they probably could do that. But yeah, tuba is just one of those things that I think it's one of those jobs where 
if you're built a certain way, like if you as a person likes to support the people around you or you like to listen or you're curious or whatever, and then like for some somehow you stumble upon the tuba, then you're going to be like, oh, well, I guess I'll do this with my life. And of course, as a kid, you're not able to like look at how your qualities match the requirements of it, but you feel it, which is why you, yeah. you keep going. Which, by the way, I think is a nice segue into just you and, and your background, just because I'm always curious as to like how and why people go into comedy and like the lane in comedy that they specifically choose, because obviously it's not just stand up, you know, like that. But anyway, yeah, like, like how did you get into comedy? I guess, you know, where'd you find the tuba? Were you in school? I was... I was in like this prep music prep organization and they needed somebody to like switch to tuba because they couldn't find a kid that like <laughs> was playing the tuba. Yeah. And uh, so I started off on trombone and switched to the tuba. How old were you like? Uh, like 11. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would say around that time okay. I was in school doing plays in school. And yeah, I think I was doing plays. I was supposed to be in music, but I, I started playing the clarinet and I was terrible. And then I did a play and then they were like, we'll give you a music credit if you join the chorus and you, and you do a musical in theater. So I was running from you guys. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> hack, couldn't hack the band. Not that the band wasn't cool or anything. It's just, I, I couldn't do it, man. And then I just started liking plays. Although I would have given it up to be on the school baseball team. I remember there was a big audition for the school play and a tryout for the baseball team the same day. And I was like, I'm going to do any stupid play. So the day before I practiced, I was going to pitch and I was, I threw like 200 pitches the day before and I was ready, except probably not a good idea to throw 200 pitches the day before. Cause the next day my arm was dead. I hit the first kid. I hit him so hard when I pitched. And then the second pitch, he like, like hit it for a home run and I just got lit up. <laughs> so like, I guess I'll be in the plays. And after that, I just kind of liked it. And it was around the time when people were doing stand-up. Matter of fact, JB was doing stand-up. We kind of missed each other mm. many times in our young years in New York. But I tried to do stand-up and I was bad at that. Stand-up is difficult. It takes years. And a lot of, you know, I think I wanted to be good too fast and it wasn't happening. But then I found sketch and improv and I love doing characters and voices. And, and I started doing that in New York at clubs all over the place. And it was a time when you could do that. It was before like UCB and some of these other places were around, but I just did it at clubs. And I met JB in passing. He was doing standup. I was doing sketch. And to support myself, I found this gig working in schools with kids doing conflict resolution and social emotional learning, these workshops for a not-for-profit company. And that paid my bills. But that was a really great job because it was, I went in to help kids deal with issues, but we would come up with these little vignettes and I would do these scenes with these kids. And it was really rewarding. And we'd even at, at the end of the year, like the kids would be so into it that we would uh, like stage a show and do it at the Apollo or do it off Broadway. And, but that was feeding me character wise and also making me feel good. And then I was just doing this sketch and improv and, and I had little breaks here and there, you know, we'd get on television doing this or that. Then made my way out to LA and bumped into JB again out here. And that one almost stuck. Like we were at a benefit. He was doing stand up and I was doing, a sketch. We had a great conversation. We sat for a while and came up with an idea for a movie, just two friends talking. And then we didn't see each other for years. And then I was back in New York and he was back in New York. He was writing for SNL. Mm. And he called me up and he's like, you remember me? <laughs> Fool? You remember the idea you had? I'm like, yeah, you, we, we should write that. So, <laughs> so then we wrote it and we didn't sell it, but we, we've been writing together ever since. And that's it. I've had the career of an actor who's done stuff, but you don't know, but it's been rewarding because working with JB, man, I've done some, got to do some really cool things, man. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride working with him and for him 
And I still do stuff like that with kids from time to time. I actually have a children's book coming out today. Well, not today when you're hearing this, but today when we recorded it for Scholastics Books. And I just got back from Connecticut where I facilitated this um, really powerful two-week workshop whose goal was to discuss racism and inclusion in the town of New London, Connecticut, but as it pertains to this country as a whole. And it was a group of people in their 70s and 80s and kids from 16 to 20. And we were together, all people of color, discussing our experiences and our feelings about it and what we want to do to change it and how can we change it and how do we get through it. And that was really cool. So long answer. That's how I started. That's what I've been doing. And that's what I get to do. A lot of great stuff, a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. And, and I, I just think like now that I've had a couple comedians on the podcast and they've all been, they're all stand up comedians. Everyone has such a unique journey of like how, you know, they got to just, you know, me sitting across from them right now talking like, how did you get here? And, and comedy is unique in the sense that like of all the arts, like I think as a kid finding a local music institution is not going to be really that difficult or a sports, just somewhere that can help you improve at whatever sport. But, you know, comedy is one of those things. I would say like comedy and cooking is one of those things that like, everyone probably thinks they can do like you we all know someone that's funny we we've, you've probably had someone make you like a great grilled cheese or whatever but to say that i want to do this and do this at the highest level i'm still so curious as to like what that thought process is like when you just when you like immediately in your head, you're just like, you know what? Like, I'm really doing this. I'm really doing this. I'm really committing to it. And I don't, like, did you have, I'm sure there are multiple moments, but was there like a time or moment where you were like, man, like I'm really dedicating my life to comedy and let's see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, I think the whole thing about like, yeah, everyone thinks they can cook or everyone thinks they're funny. It's all true. And to a certain extent, but then the reality hits when you add structure to it, right? Yeah. Can you do it in a structured manner that it becomes marketable and becomes a brand? Or are you just winging it every time you do it? Like every funny person will tell you they know funnier people than them, right? They are cousins, uncles, you know, who are funnier than them, but they're not professionals, right? I'll tell you the hardest thing to do in comedy is to duplicate a funny moment. Hmm. Because when you're coming up with something funny the first time you do it, it's a surprise for you. There's a way you deliver it because it's the first time you've done it. And you go, wow, that was great. Now duplicate it, right? Then it becomes really difficult. That's why like, you know, a friend of yours may go see someone do stand up and come back and say, oh, yo, this dude was so funny. Was, oh, let me, let me tell you. And then they do the joke. It's not that funny. And then they go, oh, you had to be there. I know because the professional did it and you're just kind of repeating it. So it's finding it in yourself. If you have the ability to duplicate funny moments to make, imagine a standup who does a tour and does the same joke, you know, three times in one night, but they got to make it feel real first time for everyone who, you know, and that's the hard thing. And the same thing with the chef, you know, I've made some stuff taste delicious I've tried to make it again. It didn't taste delicious anymore. Then, you know, you start getting too like, was it a pinch of salt? Was it? Yeah. But um, you're a musician. You know this. I can't do regular stuff. You know, exactly. I can't do the things that normal people do. Bless them. My goodness. The world would fall apart if it was all, you know, comedians, actors, and musicians. It'd be entertaining, but it would be like zombie apocalypse, just minus the sun. Well, eventually we'd get to that. We'd eat each other. But- <laughs> You need structure and I, I don't have that. And so anytime I had a regular job or any job, cause I, you know, JB and I swapped these stories, you know, like I drove an ice cream truck. I was a moving man. I, I was, you know, customer service. I was a bank teller. I, you know, we, we both had a million jobs and the only way I would get through any of those jobs was knowing this is not what I'm going to do. And this is nothing against anybody who does that. That's what you want to do. If it's, that's what you want to do and it makes you happy do it. But it was never what I wanted to do. And so I always knew 
like I would almost mark down the day. I'm going to quit on, because I knew I had a check come in from something. I'm going to quit. And that was it. I would quit. I've quit jobs real fast. I've quit jobs. I did this telemarketing job and I went in the morning and then they sent me to lunch. And when I went outside, this homeless dude, it was there, you know, I stopped and gave him some money. He said, you have a nice day. And I'm like, you're right. I'm going to have a nice day. And I didn't go back because it was miserable. I wasn't going back. And I appreciated him for the good advice. Although maybe his isn't the advice I should be following, but he nailed it though. Have a good day. Yeah. No, man, I, I relate to that so much just because like I was always the kid that could somehow like do things that like you would be like, oh man, like this kid just like did that. That means that like the, he must prop, maybe he's like doing so well and all the, the other stuff that's like easier. I, I think that's, that's a poor explanation, but maybe an example is like, I was the type of kid that like, if I had to write a paper, I would fail it, but I would be comfortable giving a speech to like 10,000 people or something. Like I'd much rather like talk about the topic or whatever than, than just like, you know, do it in some way that to me doesn't feel human or whatever. And I remember as a kid, you said it perfectly in that and, and respect to those people, but I just can't, the, the way that my brain works, there's just so much like artsy, fartsy stuff. It's just a combination of things and where like, yeah. man, I don't think I could just do a, a regular job. But yeah, for me with music, I remember there were multiple moments, but especially around 14 15 when people are, you know, in your ear and they're like, you know, are you thinking about college? Are you thinking about this? And I realized I was like, man, I just, I can't do a, a thing where I know how it's going to go down every single day. Like I, I need something that is challenging, that's different, that's changing all the time. And yeah, but, but I guess with music and especially when you're a kid, I think there's just a lot of things going on that influence that choice. Like it's, you're probably a part of a community that accepts you, makes you feel good, you know, something that you're proud of as a kid. And then it's so then, you know, all those things, it, it makes it easy to work for it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, look, it's a tough thing. Like if you and I were just sitting and you weren't recording this, it's an easier thing to say because and I say it and I say like, I'm not, we're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or look down on any other profession because even within whatever anyone does, I'm sure they're able to find what challenges them, right? right? Like whatever it is, the ascension at a bank or whatever it is, is your challenge. But my brain doesn't see that as the challenge I want to engage in. I don't want to spend the time to mm. do what it needs to be done in that field. I want to do it here. And if I'm going to, fail or succeed, I'd rather be doing the thing that, that speaks to my heart, but I'm sure whatever, you know, I hope, I hope for everybody that they find a thing that speaks to their heart. And I, you know, I don't think it's any better or worse than what it is that you and I are doing, you know, trying to be in the arts. Once again, I think, you know, you just, I'm glad we're all wired differently. I'm glad. And even within, within music, I'm glad everyone is wired differently because you want every want, want everyone sounding the same or being the same or doing the same, same in comedy, like comedy is all over the place. You know, we all like to laugh and yet you could have 10 comedians and maybe only two of them make you laugh, but they're all trying to do the same thing, get mm -hmm. you to laugh. But we all have the different tumblers in our combination that have to fall before our joy unlocks. And we're just all like searching for them, you know? Yeah. There's a certain type of confidence we all carry ourselves with when we go out into the world and we know for a fact our hair looks fucking great. Uh, what, my girlfriend dumped me, I'm getting evicted, lost my job, doesn't matter because at least my hair looks great. That's how powerful good looking hair can be. Cutting up barbershop here in Santa Monica is gonna have you looking right for your next date, whether it's for work, or if you just wanna look in the mirror and be proud of that person that looks back. Ladies, gentlemen, scammers, thieves, if you're in LA and wanna guarantee a good looking head on your shoulders, schedule your appointment with Cutting Up Barbershop and tell them OC sent you. You're welcome. When I started the podcast not too long ago, it was actually just around when you and JB started. I started mine around March, 2021, and I, 
like, you know, if you ask anyone close to me that, that when I like really decided I was going to do it, I was so happy because there's things since like, since choosing music as like a eight year old, there's a lot of things that like, I'm interested in a bunch of things, but when I've tried maybe like adding something to music, I would get to a certain level where I very quickly realized like, I don't think I'm, I'm willing to like work and suffer to get to the next level for this thing. And when I was thinking about the podcast and then I really decided to start it, what made me happy was like, I, I knew that whatever the challenges would be to grow this, that I would be willing to suffer through that. And, and yeah. I think that's where, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, but when you, you know that you're really committed to something when, like you said, when you're like, you're willing to do the most challenging things in this, then do something else that's easy. And yeah, no, but it's a, it's a, I'm, 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 I'm realizing more and more. I'm, I'm 25 and I'm realizing more and more that it's just, it's a blessing to, to just have interests. Like it's a blessing to have things that get you going. Cause, cause not everyone, not everyone has like some people wake up and they're just like, oh, like everything's bleak, you know? And it is no knock on them. We're all different. But I think to just have those things in your life that like you want to do right, you want to do it at a high quality. It's a blessing, man. I don't know if you you relate in terms of comedy or anything else. I relate, period. You know, just look, I'm 55. So my thing is, you know, it's like I've watched from video games from being Atari to being, you know, open world, right? Mm -hmm. And I use that to say, Atari was very limiting. It was, it was linear. It was one dimensional. I don't know how many dimensions, but you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. You couldn't go, you couldn't touch anything, do anything. Now that the games are kind of these open worlds, like it's for you to explore. And that's what you have to remember that you don't live in, in the Atari world. You live in an open world. The thing, you know, I've used this metaphor a bunch of times. We might've even said it on the podcast, but when I was like 17, 18, I had a car. I had a car real early. It was like one of my friends have a car. So they would jump in my car and they'd be like, let's go. I'm like, let's go where? And they're like, I don't know, just drive. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, let's drive where? Give me a place to, I'm not just going to drive. Give me a destination. Once they gave me a destination, I could drive. Here's the thing. I just needed a destination to begin my direction. Mm -hmm. Odds are we didn't always make it to that destination, odds are along the way, we saw something else and we went this way and we went that way, we tried this. And that to me is what's exciting about life. Say this is what you wanna do, but be willing along the way to stop and try this and look at that and do that. Like, don't pass up opportunities. Don't have blinders on and say, this is it. You know, it's great to be determined and be on that road. You never know the opportunities that you'll pass by that will take you to better places than your mind could imagine at 25, 35, 45, 50, you know, like, because you don't see the big picture yet. You see what you think you know. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's what keeps you moving forward. I tell my daughter, shout her out, Joelle. I tell her all the time, like, always put exciting things on your calendar, things that are coming up. Always be moving towards those, those fun things, those great things, those amazing things. It'll keep you moving forward, but don't miss out what's happening as you move towards that. Mm -hmm. Because long before that, the festival you're going to go to do on Saturday, somebody may call you up on Thursday and say, you want to hang out? And you may go have the time of your life that Thursday night. Stay active and just stay open. That, that's what we have to be, right? Yeah. We got to be open to opportunities. You never know when you're going to meet up with someone who has a gig for you or a great opportunity for you. You never know when you're going to meet up with the next person you want to work with for two years to move your journey forward or somebody that may be your partner for 20 years that may move your journey forward. But and I think that's what's fun about it, man. I, I get to meet so many people. I get to experience so many scenarios, opportunities. Like, that's wonderful, man. Like, like you said, it's not knocking anybody's grind, whatever it is that makes them happy. But I know for me, and it sounds like for you, 
I just want it to be interesting and different. I just think it's a big world out there. It's a lot of things to taste and a lot of things to try. So taste them and try them. Yeah, man. Yeah. Then I'm a hundred percent with you. And yeah, I, I think at 25, I definitely don't have it figured out. I mean, I, at this point I've accepted that, like, you know, when I'm 50, that I will probably look back at like 80% of the things that I think or whatever now and like roll my eyes at it, but still doing that. I still like I find the middle ground between that and still just like trusting my gut and just in terms of where I'm at right now, because that's all you can do. And in terms of the career stuff, man, I'm a lot of the things that you're saying, I try to remind myself and staying on the path. Like I just like I, I try to like remind myself of the bigger points of like, like I definitely believe that in terms of what's in your control, that if you are doing good work, regardless of whatever field you're in, that there's always room for people doing good work. So just making sure that whatever it is you're serving out to the world, that it's at a level that you really want it to be at. And then of course, you know, being open for any opportunities that come through. But man, I mean, between now and and 30, I have no idea what might come my way, but that that's the exciting part though. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I definitely, I resonate with everything you're saying. Yeah. And look, and it's not even about saying, I'll look back when I was 25 and roll my eyes. No, whatever you're doing now is right for you now. And there's no reason, you know, to look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? You knew what you were thinking when it was appropriate. It's not appropriate for the, the older you when you look back, but it's what you needed because how could you have gotten to be the quote unquote eye roller if you didn't experience those mm-hmm. things, right? It's, you know, it's just like people, um, they come out of a relationship in it. Oh, I love him. I love him. I love her. I love her. And then it's over. So I had never, I wasted all this time. I never loved them. No, you didn't waste time. You did things. You developed. You found what you liked in relationships, what you didn't like. You grew from it. You definitely shared love. It may not, now your interpretation of love may have changed be, as a result of it. But back then, if I would have said, you don't love him, she'd have been like, yes, I do. So it's not even about questioning your past, you know, unless, unless you killed someone, then yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, all right. But I think it is all based on where you are at any given point. You just got to keep moving your heart. Just keep doing what's right for you. Man, I keep starting with one thing, wanting to come to a second thing, and I get lost. That's what they, <laughs> when you're 50, that's what you'll do. Trust yeah. me. Me and JB do the, what were we talking about, fool? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. Kind of a a random jump, but I'm just before I forget this, I've been curious about improv comedy in terms of like performing it. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of angles I don't see or understand. But to me, the something that would be hard, especially starting off, would be I'm thinking about the amount of like how present you have to be to really do that at a high level. And like when your response or someone's response is just so good and in your head, like you don't freeze and go like, man, that was really good. Like you just like, like how you just keep giving out like good, you're, you're just going back and forth at a high level, but you're not like reviewing yourself as it's going on. How do you get out of your head when you're doing that? And working in schools with kids, I, I work with kids five, six years old, all the way up to high school. We did improv. I never ran the workshops as though we were there to discuss their behavior, their feelings. They said, we're actors and we're going to do acting workshops. But in, in doing the acting, we got a lot of feelings out, right? But we ran regular improv workshops. And kids are great because kids, for the most part, are not inhibited with all that self-doubt. Unless, I mean, obviously, if you have an environment at home yeah. where we don't have a supportive household, you know, that tends to work on kids. But in general, kids are less encumbered with all that stuff. And they're always able to just improvise like it's nothing. And I say that to say, we didn't write this interview. We haven't wrote this discussion. I talk, you respond. You talk, I respond. And if you start thinking any more than that when you're doing improv, you're in your head. Mm. Now, yeah, you want to give yourself a character, but you're doing your... Look, we all have our visions of we're, we're grown, right? So 
if I gave you old man, you know what old man is to you, right? So you're doing your version of an old man. Are you going to win an Oscar for it? No. But in improv, do you need to win Oscars or do you need to at least represent what it is we're trying to do? If I told you angry old man, well, you know now every response to what I say will be colored by being an angry old man, mm. right? How angry? How funny do you want to be with it? How angry does he want to be? Comedy is about exaggeration, right? So if you just do it too real, it's not going to be funny. It's got to be exaggerated. He can't say, I want to punch you. I got to, I want to kill you, right? Yeah. I want to kill your whole family. Like he, it, it has to be over the top. But other than that, it's when you wake up in the morning, no one comes in your bedroom and briefs you with everything you're going to say during the course of the day. When you go to the store, when your Uber driver picks you up, you are ready to respond to conversation. And that's all improv is. Mm. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Yeah. Man, that is so cool. And I, I'm, cause I'm, I understand improv in a musical lens, but within music, like you still have systems to fall back on. Like, it, yeah, it's improv, but you know what key it's in. You, you know how many bars that you have to improv. So there, there's still a script, but. There's things to fall into. Look, groundlings will always teach you yes and. Mm. It's a phrase people know. And yes and is important because if you if you don't yes and a scene, it ends. Mm. If, hey, look at that, you know, look at that rocket ship over there. No, I don't see it. Then it's done, right? It's yes, and that's the greatest rocket ship I've ever seen. Mm. Holy crap, it looks like a penis. Like whatever, it has to build, right? The other rule is something you said at the very beginning of this conversation when you were talking about my role with JB. So intelligent comedy has a couple of rules to it. I mean, as say intelligent comedy, you know, a pie in the face, people falling down. Those are, that's comedy, but you know, it's just kind of base level fart noises. Like, you know, that's, you were a kid, it made you laugh and it never stops making you laugh. But when you start really constructing comedy, if there's a crazy character, a character who's kind of extreme, you have to put that character in a sane world. Mm -hmm. And that way the crazy stands out. If there's nothing but crazy, then you have to have one sane character to point out how crazy everyone is. Yeah. There always has to be the audience's way in to the scene, just something extreme like that. Like The Office is an ensemble comedy where at times everyone is extreme, but the, the device, just like in Abbott Elementary, is the camera. Mm. The camera is viewing this absurdity and we go, wow, that's absurd. But all shows don't have a camera device and shows where there aren't, there's always a straighter character. In Atlanta, which breaks most rules, yeah. Donald is, tends to be the straight character. He's the least funny character in the whole thing. Yeah. He reacts to Paperboy, and, you know, to his girlfriend, like doing all these weird things. And he's just kind of us, you know, Seinfeld. It was Jerry's show. He was the least funny character. It's George coming in. It's Kramer coming in. It's Elaine. And it's Jerry kind of being us, the yeah. room tone. So there's rules. And, and even in improv, if you and I started doing this, as with JB, it's established JB's, all of his improv is going to be way up here and mine's going to be way down here. If we were both up here, it would get annoying to listen to. Yeah. It'd just be too much. And that's why certainly when a guest comes on, unless the guest wants to be down here with me, I have double duty. That's why, you know, George Wallace kept telling me, shut up, shut the fuck up, Miles, but which I loved. <laughs> Kevin was telling me, shut up, but that's fun. I'm that character that's for the audience. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it that way, because I think the episode that you had with Amanda Seals and Kevin are different in that regard, in that like, Amanda, obviously, like she has a like, sense of humor, but in that episode, she was like saying really, she, she was being very real, giving out like amazing like perspective and advice. And then, but the one with Kevin was just like full on foolishness at the high, absolute highest level, even though like there were great, like actual bits of advice. I like that Kevin was like, no, nah, Miles, like, don't try to like, don't try to like, yeah. uh, like make it sane. Like, just let us like keep saying crazy shit. It, it was a great 
great dynamic. But anyway, just to conclude that point, like just happened was fun. Yeah. Like seeing you, like you said, double down, you know, when I guess is, is more in that mindset of just kind of, you know, just talking, just like being semi-serious. And then also just knowing that, like, like how to, to compliment someone who's just like, you know, full blast with JB. Yeah. It's subtle because you're still you, but you know what parts of you is required in those like different moments, you know? Yeah. And then it goes back to your rules of improv. You're still you. So going back to like, no one writes what you say in the course of a day. So if you ever had to jump up on stage and do an improv scene, don't freak out. You, you as an adult know what to say and how to react in situations, but you'll always be you, right? So that's what makes it different. You know, don't think, well, but I want to be better. I want to, I don't want it to be generic. Well, it won't be generic because it's going to be colored with your take on the world. Once again, if I said, you know, angry old man, you and I have different images of an angry old man. Matter of fact, when you do an improv, or I'll even say people who do impressions, they're referencing something very specific and they use that, you know, Jay Farrow says he starts with, um, I think he said he starts with the character saying their name. Like mm. that's the thing he needs to set himself off to do the voice. But if I was to, you know, give you a character, your brain would quickly like search and find any, any reference you have of a character from a movie of something, something they said, and that would be the catalyst to color the character. Like yeah. it would instantly do that. Like, because that's what your brain does. Like our brains are amazing and fast and wonderful when we, but we're not afraid to use them when we don't block them with questions and self-doubt and all that stuff. And well, as I said with JB, when you're willing to go out on a limb and just let it go, your brain is really good at not letting you fall. Mm. You know, it's like the old, me and JB always talk about, you know, Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and all that stuff, but the Roadrunner would run off the cliff and he wouldn't fall till he looked down. Right. right. He's, he's suspended in air, but the second he looked down, I'm like, just don't look down. Like, just yeah. keep doing it. Yeah. Wow. Man, I, I love that analogy, man. It's so cool just because I knew that, you know, when we spoke that we'd probably find some similarities between improv and and, mus- and being a musician. At this point, I, I'm struggling to find any differences. So that, that's, <laughs> that's really cool. And I guess yeah, I know we're coming up on the hour here. But man, I guess one of my last questions for you is just, you know, since starting the podcast, and I'm sure like at this point, you have just like thousands of hilarious moments you've experienced. But do you have any, I guess, favorite episodes or maybe favorite guests that you guys have had so far? No, you know, when we were doing the daily, we would record five to seven episodes in a day. We would just sit down and do them back to back to back to back. And although they were only 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, we would record about 40 minutes and they would edit it down. And it would be such a blur. And then when we'd hear it, we wouldn't even remember saying that stuff. I do, for me, maybe about 10 episodes in, the producers were like, Miles, talk more. Because I didn't talk a lot in the first few episodes. I just kind of teed it up and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, once I got to talk more, then it got fun. Anytime JB and I got to do an improv scene, like a little vignette, I would say, JB, let's pretend. I'll be the bank teller and you, I'll be the ice cream store guy and you be the, and we would do these little scenes. Those are always my favorite. I will say, all right, if I had to pick one out, there was a movie he saw about some reincarnation called something, something Peter Proud, the reincarnation of Peter Proud. He was talking to me about it before we did the podcast. I'm like, I don't, don't say anymore. Just, I'm going to ask you about the movie. Just tell me the whole movie. And he told me the whole movie and I kind of enjoyed that. That was pretty funny. He was, <laughs> it was just stupid the way he was telling me to film. Yeah. And I love all of our guests. They were all different, but I really did. Keenan Thompson is is just great. JB is they're good friends. Matter of fact, Keenan is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh wow! Yep, this month, and JB's going to go make a speech on his behalf. One of one of those few people. So Keenan is great, but they're all great. But I did love George Wallace 
telling me to shut the fuck up. And the messed up thing was, so he said it twice in the episode. And at the very end, if people are familiar with the podcast, I read the closing credits and JB keeps talking. Well, JB and George were talking. And then when it ended, I tried to say something to them and they both told me to shut the fuck up, <laughs> which was so perfect. And they cut it out. I don't know why. I guess they thought it seemed too mean, but it was wonderful. Anyway, that, that was it. Man, oh my God, man. And first of all, in uh, response to Keenan getting that star, man, that well-deserved should have came out a long time ago, but yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Do you know if those, um, I've seen like clips of, of people like making their speech. Is that, is that available to the public? It, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you would think that that would be streamed somewhere, right? In this day and age, somebody would cover that and but I've never seen a full, like you, it'd be on the news and you're like, oh, they got our star and you see a quick, I don't know. I know Leslie Jones is making a speech on his behalf, JB, and maybe someone else. But yeah, the dude has been on television since forever from all that and yeah. Keenan and Kel, Ke you know, and Good Burgers. And, and then he's been on Saturday Night Live forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Has it been like 15 years, 20 He's 20. 20? Wow. I, think that, I think this might be his 20th year. And the show's only been on 40-something, and he's been 20. Yeah. He's a good guy. But, um, yeah, man, but we they've all been great, and they've all been different. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. But to be honest, as much as the, the guest episodes are great, I, I like the episodes better when it's just us because we do get deeper into the uh, – he makes better points – when a guest isn't there because, you know, the guest takes it in different directions. Mm -hmm. But yeah. 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 So we're on break now. They're trying to decide Coco and, and people above my pay grade, what they want to do with it. If we're going to come back as, as may I elaborate, or if it's going to morph into something else, there's also talk of us animating, doing animated version of the stuff that's already been shot, which I think would be great because visually, some of this stuff, I'd love to see some of the stuff he's talked about animated. So we shall see. Oh, man, that is so cool, man. I'm, you're making me uh, look forward to the days where uh, my podcast has that type of budget. <laughs> we can just do all types of cool shit like that. Because that, that sounds amazing, man. I mean, it's funny because JB is like one of those people that the literal animation of him won't be as animated as he is in real life. So... <laughs> Have you, you've never seen him do stand-up, right? I've seen his clips on YouTube, but not, not a full set. No. See, and the problem is he's rarely, he's rarely in, um, he doesn't like pop up in LA in any of these clubs. He does maybe Oxnard. Man, you know, we got to exchange information, but next time he's, he's up that way, I'll let you know. You got to come see him. JB in concert. It's funny. He's got a lot of Curb fans, Curb Enthusiasm fans, who don't even know that he does stand-up, yet mm -hmm. he's been doing stand-up for years and years and years. And a lot of comedians will tell you that they, you know, Kevin did our podcast and JB did Kevin's podcast. It was like a little swap. And if you listen to Kevin's podcast, you got to hear the credit Kevin gave JB of when Kevin was coming up, that he used to just kind of do JB's material and, and kind of emulate JB. And I heard Ricky Smiley saying a lot, a lot of, a lot of comedians cause he's so physical. And I, when I say I write with him, I don't write a standup. I got not, that's nobody could write a standup because if, if he showed you the premise on a piece of paper, you would say that makes no sense. Yeah. And like he did a special and he, he said, I'm going to do a bit about a chicken that's so frustrated with people not being able to fry chicken that the chicken fries itself in front of the person just to show them. And I'm like, okay. And he did, he did it in a special. He had never done it before. And then he got up on stage and he cuts his leg off. He's, he's the chicken yelling at this person. You don't know how to cook no damn chicken. Now here's what you do. First you chop, you get the leg and he cuts his leg off. Then he ties it off. Then he batters the leg. And the whole time he's narrating it, but the chicken is losing blood. So he's getting kind of woozy so he, and he's hopping and he's hopping, breading the chicken and, and putting paprika and salt and, and, and then he fries it. And, it, and then he's just like, he's almost out as he takes the chicken out and he tastes himself and says it's delicious. And then he dies. It's so stupid, man. Who would write that? And I'm telling you, he did it for like, it's like a 10 minute bit and, and it's just 
hysterical because it's him. It's just him physically doing it. Yeah. Oh, man. And I think the one clip I can remember of him, it was a bit about like why cops hate their jobs because they just have so much stuff on their utility belt. <laughs> and he's running and he's making all the noise. Yeah. He's so animated. He's getting ready to do his new tour. I'll let him announce the name, but the name is appropriate for what he does. And and I hope, hope he gets a special out of it because people need to see, you know, I think he gets, people think he's just kind of this fast talker, verbal assassin kind of, and people either love it or don't. But what they really need to know is, no, the core of what he does is he's he's a physical comedian and what he does, like, you know, people don't really do anymore, you know? There's not a lot of real, it's people who do physical elements in their shows, but they're not people who are invested in being a physical comedian and that they're drenched in sweat by the end of the the routine, like, you know, you'll have a chair, a mic stand, a stool, and those props will turn into, he used to do this bit where he would say that his wife likes him to lift her up while they're having sex, which is great, but he's only strong for a little bit at a time. And so he takes the chair and he lifts it up and he's, he's having sex with it. He's holding it up in the air, but He's getting tired. You see his arms are getting tired. And now that the, the top of the chair is starting to hang down and it's starting to get close to the floor. And you're starting to, and all you see is this woman's head getting ready to hit the floor as he's trying to, and he's just, and before you know, and he has the mic and he's hitting the, the chair with the mic. So you hear this sex is going on and then the chair and it starts hitting the floor. Now her head is hitting the floor. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's not even like, you know, I can't explain it. It's, he's a visual, he's a visual machine. So yeah, yeah no, that and, and you're absolutely right. Like you can't write for that because it's not just Miles, like, I'm, I'm gonna do a bit where I, where I have sex with a chair. You wanna help me? No. No, I don't wanna help you with that. It makes no sense, JV. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, because like, it, it's just yeah, it's certain people that you just can't it's just the the way that their mind works. And I'm between the podcast and him doing Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm glad that like I've seen him do these things that aren't so heavily scripted. Cause I know I've heard comedians talk about how like comedy writers for uh, like cable television shows, like they feel like they're not themselves when they get this like comedy show for, I don't know, some big network. But of course, HBO, you know, being their streaming service, they give their writers probably more leeway. And, and the fact that Curb is just this full on, improv thing because i man could you imagine jb in like a i don't even know like a abc family sitcom (laughs) no i mean he's done stuff like that and he's just been unhappy you know yeah no it's it's, he needs that matter of fact the most of the time when he gets a gig they'll send over you know like he does an, an appearance in something or an award show they'll send over a script with nothing in it and they're like you guys well the worst thing is when they write for him and in his voice. And they're like, we apologize. We're writing in your voice. Feel free to fix it. And then they, you know, they kind of write this stereotypical, you know, saying over the top, like black kind of like, uh, no, he doesn't sound like that. And everyone doesn't sound like that, by the way. Don't send that. Or they'll write nothing and say, you do it, which is then lazy. At least give us some structure. Yeah. But it's good. It's much better. He gets to do him. Yeah. That's all you want if you're a comedian. Right. You're going to be tied into, yeah, the, the days of those multi-camera sitcoms on network. I mean, yeah, there's a place for little kids and for, you know, seniors. But for anyone else, man, you just want some, you want a comedy that's almost not a comedy. You want a comedy that's grounded and real and then is kind of funny. You know, it's why Insecure worked as well as it did because yeah. it didn't have to be a comedy. It was a story about you know, coming of age for these friends, these young women. It's why a show like Rami, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's just a grounded show that could have been serious, but it it's funny, like life. Mm. So. And, oh man, you're one of those people that I can talk to forever. And I know, you know, while we were messaging that you've got other people to talk to, a lot of other things to do. So we'll close out here in a second. But I guess, lastly, do you have anything you're looking forward to? Anything coming up? Yep. Just like it's in my book, 
is out. The Terrell Show, season one, Scholastics. JB is Caesar, Caesar Sportsbook app. And I'm in those commercials, so look out for those. And we just formed a company. Hasn't gone quite public yet, so I'll hold off even on the name of that. But pretty soon, we're going to be looking to produce a lot of different things. And then, and hopefully, May I Elaborate comes back in some way, shape, or form. And thank you so much for this, man. This was a real pleasure. And it was nice and easy. It was an easy, breezy hour. Oh, man. Pleasure is all mine, man. It's one of those moments where when you've been listening to a, a voice for so long and then like you're actually talking to the person it's like oh man like this is this is the coolest <laughs> thing ever so thank you man and yeah for people listening of course for everyone who has made it to the end i appreciate you this is a song called life and we're out peace